You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. When I was like 12 years old, I'm a big hockey fan. My dad took me to an Islander game, and uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, This guy named Jeff Norton, who was a defenseman for the Islanders, like just completely pummeled this guy in the Philadelphia Flyers. Just beat him so good. It was uh, it was amazing. It was like one of the memorable moments of my life. And uh, and everybody like we were sitting down by the plexiglass of the ice. How many people have been to a hockey game before? Good. So we were sitting there and, and, and uh, like people like banging on the glass and they're yelling and they're like ah oh, Norton and all this and like I was twelve. You're like in between like that sort of prepubescent and pubescent. Like you, am I a boy? Am I a man? And so I was just like yeah. You know I didn't know quite what to do. And my dad was uh, my dad was sitting down on his chair with his legs crossed and he was clapping like this. And I was like what is weird? Why is my dad sitting there with his legs crossed clapping like that during a hockey fight? And my dad was a really big hockey fan, and uh, I didn't think much about it. In fact, I thought nothing of it at all for the next 22 years until my dad called me about four years ago, and my dad said, Jonathan, I need to tell you something. I'm flying to New York. And um, I was like, what's my dad going to tell me? Like, you know, is he leaving the ministry? Is, you know, he's getting a divorce? Is, you know, did he cheat on his taxes? I don't know. So my dad comes, and my dad comes to my house, and he says, Jonathan, listen, I've been living a lie. Um, I, I've uh, always felt like a woman and, and I'm going to be transitioning to a woman. That's what my dad said. My dad said, I'm going to be tr- uh, transitioning from man to a woman and I'm going to go through some surgeries and take hormones and all the rest. And I was just like, why didn't you cheat on your taxes? <laughs> why didn't you? Um, and, and, and so, you know, the, the struggle for me, though, uh, was objectively, I, you know, I was like, oh, you know, objectively, uh, transgender issues, I'm like, oh, I, I fight for those rights, and then all of a sudden it happens to me, and, um, and, and my dad said that, you know, he feels like he was living a lie, right, and, and so all of a sudden I start wondering, like, well, those thousands of phone calls where I asked my dad for advice, and all the times we went on hikes, and all the times uh, that we went to games together, and all those times, like, that I, my dad was my absolute hero, and I would tell my dad as much, was, was that a lie too? Was that also a lie? And so I just was, like, devastated, like, devastated, and um, it felt like death, it felt a little bit like death, and so... Uh, I just sort of went into this hole where I couldn't really wake up in the morning. It was just my kids that would get me up. I got to this place where I was like drinking too much and making really bad decisions. Um, it got to a place where I just felt hollow and it got to a place where I was like, God is, God's not good. You know, there's nothing good about God. I was at that place. Oh, and I just started this church three months prior. <laughs> so... I would show up and I would cry upstairs in that green room up there and then I would come down here and do service with everybody and put on a smiley face and act happy and people would tell me how they're meeting Jesus again for the first time and I thought that was great except I wasn't meeting Jesus at all because I was like, my dad is not my dad anymore. My dad's a woman now and she said that her life was a lie. Is my life a lie too? And I don't know. Um, and and I, I just went through a lot of pain. And Ben and Jen can tell you the times that I yelled at them for no good reason. And they were like, why are you yelling? But I couldn't tell anybody anything. There was still too much at stake. I couldn't say anything to anybody. Um, and so I just had to keep this secret, right? I just had to keep this secret about what was, what was happening in my life. And um, it was difficult. I remember uh, Celebration Generosity that year. We raised like over $100,000 and everybody was all excited. I was just hollow. 
I was like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. It was hard. It was really hard. Finally, I told a few people. And I told those few people, and those, those two people said two different things to me. The first thing they said is, this, this is a journey, and, and life will change, and it will get better. And that was true, and that's very true. And the second thing that people told me, and they were all very well-meaning, and I mean no ill will in anyone, they said, uh, God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. That's what they told me. That was not true. <laughs> that is a lie. God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. I promise you. If you haven't gotten more than you can handle, you just wait. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Because the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, listen, death, the death of a loved one is more than we can handle. It puts us in that same place. A miscarriage, infertility, that's more than we can handle. That's brutal. You know, uh, breakups, like the person that you love and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're divorced from them or you're separated from them, that's more than we can handle. You name it, sickness, more than we can handle. What is going on? I, I promise you that there's something going on or has gone on in your life that was absolutely more than you could handle. The pain was more than you could bear. I promise that has happened. And if it hasn't happened, like I said, just wait, just wait. So the truth of the matter is we're going to get more than we can handle. That's the truth of the matter. Where do we get this idea? Where do we get this damaging idea, this falsehood that we don't uh, get more than we can handle? Well, let's talk about some misused scripture, shall we? Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, 10. That's where we're going. And I'm going to read for you 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 13. Uh, Yeah, so take out those apps and take out your Bibles or whatever it is. And this is what it says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Okay, this is where we get this idea. We paraphrase. We say, God won't give you anything that you can't handle. Or God won't give you any more than you can bear. And there's uh, temptation, which is the Hebrew word. God won't tempt you. And then there's the Greek word, which is testing. Okay, so we're talking about testing and temptation. So let's break this apart. Let's talk about what this really means, what this really is about. Uh, And right off the bat, the fact that it says testing and temptation, I need to tell you right now that testing and and temptation when it comes to God are not even close to the same as the pain and suffering that we deal with. All right, let's start there, okay? Context is key. I always say this, right? What am I going to tell you when you're at the beach reading your scriptures, right? Like, look at the context. Look at the context of what you're reading, which means you're not just reading the verse. It means you are reading uh, around the passage. It means you're reading the whole book. It means that you're looking at who wrote the book and the historical context behind the book. There's a little bit of digging that needs to happen here. And so what happens when we dig into this verse and we read around it and we look at the passage? I'm going to tell you. All right, so the Corinthians were new Christians. The Corinthians, in their city, there was this thing that the entire city did. They worshiped these idols. So they, worshiped, they had these festivals. I laugh thinking about it because I don't know. They, they, uh, they had these festivals where they went and they prayed to these idols, and then they ate and drank for days, and then they had orgies. So I don't know. <laughs> Say what you will about it. Fourth of July. That's what we're all going to do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So these new Christians, like these new Christ followers in in Corinth, they were like, I have an idea. We'll still go and pray to the idols. We'll still go eat and drink. We'll still have orgies. We'll just do it in the name of Jesus. That's what they were saying. And Paul goes, no. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't help you to flourish. Like, remember we talked about flourishing in our lives? That doesn't help flourishing. And so they go, I got it. We'll still go because the rest of the city is going. 
but we won't, we won't pray to the idols, we'll pray to Jesus. And when everybody's eating and drinking, we'll just hang out and watch and take pictures. And then when everybody's having orgies, we'll hang out and watch and take pictures. Like, this is what they were thinking. They were like, this is what we're going to do. And, uh, and Paul's like, are you guys idiots? Like, you, you can't do that. And this is where we're getting into the context, right? Because what this is like, it's like if you have an alcoholic friend or a friend who's a recovering alcoholic, and you say, hey, man, meet me at the bar. Let's go to the bar and hang out together. I'll drink, you drink water. That's, the, that's what's happening here. Or uh, if you have a sexual addiction, it's like somebody handing you a computer and, and saying, this computer is completely private. Nobody will ever know what you look at, um, but don't look at any porn sites, okay? Here you go. Like, or you know, when you break up with somebody and that person calls you and you know you shouldn't be with them, right? And then they call you and they're like, hey, you want to watch Goonies together or something? And you're like, yeah, what's the harm of me just going over to watch Goonies, right? But we know you shouldn't be with that person, right? This is what's happening. This is the... This is the temptation. This is the playing with fire. This is the thing um, that we're talking about, the context in which we're talking. So what does Paul say about the context in which we're talking here? Okay, this is what he says. He tells them a story, uh, some stories that happened in Israel, you know, thousands of years ago. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by a destroying angel. So Paul's saying, every time you put yourself in a position where you're gonna be tempted by things that aren't gonna help you flourish, it's probably not gonna end too well. Look at these old stories from Israel. 23,000 people die, people are killed by snakes, people are killed by angels. Now, that's not, you know, literally going to happen to you, but there's going to be problems if you put yourself in these kinds of situations. And then Paul goes on to be like the, um, sort of like the cool camp counselor or like the, the cool principal that's like, I know you kids, I was in the same place that you used to be, like that guy. Uh, and he says, no temptation has ever uh, overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And what he's saying, is he's saying, I've been tempted too. I get it, I'm with you. I've also been tempted. It's, it's been in me as well. But then he says this in context. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do we see this in context now? We're talking about a very specific thing where they want to remain within the culture of Corinth. Specifically, they want to pray to idols, eat and drink, and have orgies, okay? And Paul's saying, you're, if you put yourselves in that position, there's temptation, but don't worry. You now have this church. You are a church, and God has given you the church to keep you accountable to one another. That's basically what he's saying. You now have this church that God has given, and so when you are in a position that where you want to go ahead and do X or Y, the things that are not going to help you flourish, God has put you in a place where your church, your community, your family can hold you accountable to that. So a few weeks ago, I talked about um, judgment. Who was here when I talked about judgment? A few people. I talked about judgment. I talked about a healthy church. As a healthy church, it's okay when people are putting themselves in position, it's okay for us to hold them accountable and say, hey, is that thing going to bring about selfless love in you? Or is that thing a selfish thing? It's okay to ask them that question. As a healthy church, we should ask one another that question. Hey, do you really need to go see this movie with this person, even though you know this person's not right for you? Is that the best situation you're going to put yourself in? In a healthy church, God gives us one another. God gives us the ability to be accountable to one another. That's why our church will always continually ask people to mature by doing exactly what Paul talks about, working with one another to stay out of temptation. Now, 
can we also see how this passage has nothing to do with your worst pain and suffering? Can we also see how it has nothing to do with the loss that you've gone through? Can we also see how it has nothing to do with, with whatever that thing is that feels devastating? It doesn't have anything to do with that. Nothing. And so that still sort of hangs there and it hangs over our head. And I wanted to give a quick sidebar. This is a quick sidebar. Our God is not a God who is going to have you suffer and face devastating loss in order to teach you a lesson. Okay, that does not happen. I do not have kids. I have two kids. I will never put my kids in a situation where they are suffering and in great pain just to test them to make sure they're, I'm just testing you. Like, that's, that's vindictive. That's messed up. Our God is not that God, okay? Our God is not a God who punishes us um, by giving us great pain and great suffering. God's like, oh, you did the wrong thing. I'm gonna punish you by giving you this pain and devastating loss and suffering. Our God does not do that. There's this um, great podcast that I've listened to a bunch. It's called Midrash NYC. Have you guys heard of it before? <laughs> it's really good. Go download it and rate it on iTunes. Ben Grace curates it. And Ben just interviewed this guy named Jonathan Martin. And you, everybody right now, take out your phones again. <laughs> How to Survive a Shipwreck by Jonathan Martin. Incredible book. Incredible, okay? And so Ben's interviewing Jonathan Martin on our Midrash podcast, and Jonathan Martin talks about infertility that him and his wife had experienced. And he says at one point, you know, I grew up where the church is kind of telling me like that, that if I'm experiencing this, it's because I did something wrong. And so he's like, here I am trying to figure out what is wrong that God won't allow me to carry on a legacy or what do I have to fix before God actually gives me a child? And how damaging is that when we look at a God, a loving God, who is going to punish us in that way? I don't think that's right. Now, I do think there's discipline, but discipline doesn't come from devastating pain or loss. That's for another misused scripture day, okay? It doesn't come from that. The truth of the matter is we will face more than we can handle, I promise you. Paul faced more than he could handle. You want to hear what Paul faced? 2 Corinthians 11 I am more, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger of false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I don't feel weak, who is led to sin, and I don't inwardly burn, Paul was given way more than he could handle. My goodness. And then Paul was killed. He was a martyr. That's more than you can handle. That's a lot. So if Paul's talking about terrible pain and terrible suffering in 1 Corinthians, he's contradicting himself in 2 Corinthians, if we were to look at Scripture the old way. What's this about then? Well, what's pain and suffering about? Why pain and suffering? Was Paul given that pain and suffering so that, um, uh, to, you know, because he was being punished? Was he given it because he was being tested? Or was he given it uh, so that the glory of God could be revealed? Oh, the glory of God could be revealed. There's this story in John and the Pharisees bring a blind man to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sins or is it because of the sins of his parents? And Jesus said, not so that the glory of God can be revealed. And then he heals him. And that was always a struggle for me because I was like, why did that guy have to be blind in the first place? 
like so that the glory of God could be revealed. And then I realized that our entire, our entire religion is about death on the cross. It's about when we are getting more than we can bear, when we feel like we can't wake up and we drink too much and make bad decisions and all the rest because we are down and completely depressed. When that is happening, there is a God who says, I love you so much that I'm gonna give myself more than I can bear by putting my son on the cross. And I stand with you right there. But then, then the glory of God's revealed because you don't stay on the cross because there's resurrection, because there's Sunday. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna review something. If you guys are here during Lent, you're gonna hear me review something. Uh, and the only reason I'm reviewing it is because it has been the most powerful healing thing in my life for the, in the past year. I have been greatly affected by this word. I've been greatly affected by the way it works in scripture and greatly affected by the way that the spirit has worked through it. Um, it's healed me. And this word is tov. How many people remember me talking about the word tov? Good, a few of you. Good, we'll review it. It'll be good to hear again. And tov uh, means good in Hebrew, means good. Um, now, tov doesn't mean good, like, how are you? I'm good because I'm happy and I have blessings in my life. It's not that kind of good. When, it's, when tov is talked about, it means um, for its intended purpose. That's what it means. So again, like going back to Genesis, God creates the stars and they are good. They're not good like, oh, they're blessings. They're for their intended purpose. Well, what's their purpose? Well, they give light. There's beauty and light, but they're also dying balls of gas. So there's death. They're tov, they're for their intended purpose. When you talk about God creates the trees and the plants and they're good, well, they're good, they're tov, which means they're giving life and they're giving food and they're giving air, but there's also death because in order for that stuff to happen, there's gotta be this, the fruit that falls from the tree and it's gotta go back into the ground, right? There's a death there, tov. It's for its intended purpose, which means that good things aren't just blessings. It means that good things are light coupled with darkness, are the death, but coupled with resurrection. And so our pain and our suffering, my pain, my suffering, is good. It's tov. There's darkness there, tons of darkness and pain, and it hurts, and there are scars, but there's light. And there's joy, and there's beauty, and there's resurrection. So my dad uh, uh, told me that uh, she was trans, took me a while to get used to it, but what I realized I could do is I realized I could mourn really well, and so I started mourning really well, and I started letting people know that I was crying upstairs, and this community came around me in some really incredible ways. Tov, it's for its intended purpose. And and then over Lent, I told you for the first time, kind of as a church community, that my dad was trans, and the overwhelming support that I received was like out of this world, like nothing I've ever received before, and that's Tov, it's for its intended purpose. And, and, And then I like ended up just talking about it. I ended up understanding and having more grace for people. At least I hope I have more grace for people. You guys might have other opinions. But I think I'm more gracious with people. I think when people come to me with, with, with their pain, with their suffering, I, I sit there and I go, I, I get it. And I really do get it. And honestly, I don't have to have any of the answers because this place is so mysterious and this life is so mysterious and God is so mysterious and I'm okay just sitting in the questions. I'm okay sitting in the mystery and that's what our church is all about and that is tov. That is for its intended purpose. It's good. My dad, she's amazing. She's a wonderful woman. I'm friends with her again. Took, took some time. She's my hero. It's Tov. It's for its intended purpose. It is. God's going to give you a lot. God's going to give you more than you could bear. 
God's gonna make it so that, well, maybe not God, but whatever. We're going to lay in bed and we're going to struggle and it's going to be terrible and we're gonna feel like we wanna die. It's going to happen. And this passage has nothing to do with that. This passage has to do with something completely different where as a church we hold one another accountable. It's good. That's a good thing. I want us to hold one another accountable. But this passage, this passage is, is not about the, you know, the pain and the suffering. It's about Tov. And honestly, I'm not, <clears throat> honestly, I think it's a good thing that God gives us more than we can handle. Um, because it's without the darkness. If we didn't have the darkness, we couldn't see the light, right? And if we didn't have the death, then we would never, ever experience the amazing, the infinite, the unimaginable resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you stand with us uh, continually redeeming, continually bringing your glory out of, out of the dust, out of the difficult things, out of the pain. God, we thank you that you stand with us in solidarity in the midst of our suffering. God, we thank you that you place a community around us in those times that we are tempted, in those times that we are trying to justify, in those times we're playing with fire, that you've given us one another to help us through each and every one of those obstacles and hurdles. Lord, give us perspective in our pain. Give us perspective in the blessing. And as we go and celebrate this weekend, give us perspective in that as well, that it's all good. We pray this in your name, amen.